You are listening to Something Rather Than Nothing. Creator and host, Ken Vellante. Editor and producer, Peter Bauer. Hey everybody, this is Ken Vellante with the Something Rather Than Nothing podcast, and I am most excited to have uh, two playwrights and folks uh, uh, in plays and entertainment. Uh, Paul Adams uh, with uh, uh, new production, uh, Doris Day, My Secret Love, and Keitha Gentis with uh, work, uh, Sex Work, Sex Play, and uh, going to be talking about these plays I'm uh, going to be on the stage and um, uh, wanted to welcome both of you onto the Arts and Philosophy show and um, welcome on. Thanks, Ken. Glad to be here. Yeah, no, I'm super excited to be here. And when we get into it, you'll you'll understand why. <laughs> yes, yes. Um, uh, so... Um, I uh, a wonderful uh, relationship uh, via email with uh, Andrea Alton, and um, it, what it's I want to tell you something you know unique in my experience. It's put me into contact with uh, plays and what's going on in, in in New York, and just kind of fresh ideas. So I've had this kind of vicarious living um, over from from Oregon, uh, you know, seeing um, uh, these wonderful productions. Um, uh, so uh, I wanted to start uh, with with you, Paul, and I uh, regarding your production, uh, Doris Day, My Secret Love. And everybody, just so you know, uh, Paul's the the founder of uh, Emerging Artists uh, Theater, and um, uh, for 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 quite some time in founder, um, and a, a lot of experience around um, uh, producing plays and uh, writing and. Um, so we're going to drop into into that world, but uh, Paul, right off the bat, tell us about uh, Doris Day, my secret love, and uh, what's going on for you right now. Uh, well, this play um, started about uh, six years ago. Um, I just got an idea in my head about Doris Day, and just had to kind of get it out of my head. And uh, it started out as a solo show with just uh, a male accompanist. Um, but then as we were working through the development, I found that it was just her kind of telling stories and it was not very active. So then I decided that um, to bring in a concept of that she's at a retrospective of her life and without her knowledge, the producers are showing photos of her past life. So these photos kind of shock her into flashbacks. So then her accompanist, who's her friend Les Brown, who wrote Sentimental Journey that they recorded together, he then becomes all the different men in her life. And so it made it much more active and um, much more of a, a journey for the audience. But we've been um, working on this for about five years, and I just actually did some more rewrites two weeks ago. So we open uh, a week from Monday on Labor Day, and we run for eight weeks off-Broadway along with Kathis Play in Rep. And uh, I'm really excited to see... Uh, there's a lot of people, I think, who um, know who Doris Day is, but I think this will give them a, a more insight into her life and what, you know, she was always like the American sweetheart, but she had a lot of kind of dark stuff happen in her personal life that a lot of people didn't know about. And the actress uh, sings about 14 of her uh, favorite songs. So 
Oh my gosh, I'm excited! <laughs> I'm excited <laughs> for it now. Uh, sometimes when I find out about these things, I'm like, well, I, I, gosh, I, I really want to jump in and see it. But um, uh, oh, it's 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 super to, super to hear about. And um, I'm going to jump over to you, uh, uh, Katha, about um, just just giving us a little the listeners a little um, uh, preview of, uh, sex work, sex play. And, um, what, what's, what's that project about and, uh, jumping into writing, tell us about it. Yeah. Well, you know, it's funny just to go back. Um, yeah. So sex work, sex play is a comedic farce and I'll tell you a little bit about it, but I am such like a fan of philosophical stories and artists. So I always go to people, you know, and like Jung and Beckett and Sartre and Albie as my inspiration. So that's why when I saw that you have a philosophy background, I'm like, oh, this is so <laughs> So with that in mind, and I tend, again, because I found especially, you know, the a lot of the existential um, playwrights used humor. And so I like to use humor as a way to kind of talk about important topics. So that's how I attack. So it, it is a very funny play, but I want to really look at um, sex and connection and relationships in our digitally kind of uh, all-encompassing times and how really it's impacted how we relate and connect and also how different generations kind of look at sex work because it was seeing that, you know, we're living in very transactional times right now. We're everything. Like if you're on a dating app, you're swiping. If you're on Amazon, you're swiping. And um, so I just thought, you know, I want to look at that as well. So there's five characters. It's very much like crazy, stupid love that if I go too much into the plot, it's kind of gives it away, but it's really dealing with these themes with five people that ultimately are interconnected. And it's a divorced mother, her college age daughter, a suburban couple, and then this male personal trainer, only fan, sex worker, and it's fun and fast and furious. And it really deals with taboo topics in kind of an easy to digest, hopefully inspiring conversation way. Yeah. Yeah. I, um, I, uh, I, I, I find that, um, uh, one of the things that I was thinking about is out on um, living in Oregon. Um, and uh, for, for me is, you know, every place has its problems, but I'm very sensitive to how like a, a culture is different. And one of the fascinating pieces in, in Oregon is that um, there's a strong uh, reliance or a strong interpretation of like first amendment speech. So there's a lot of deference to expression uh, that's here, which means you see a lot of, um, well, a lot more, at least for me, like creatively and, 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 and otherwise. And I found it to be, um, you know, very fertile to just kind of be and explore and to learn um, more about um, uh, different things. So I've liked that environment. And I, I love the um, existential uh, playwrights you refer to, of course, of Beckett and and and, and Sartre. And um, we got, we'll get some more into that. Um, I was, I did see that too. We're mutually excited, probably reading about each other. Um, uh, jumping over, hey, Paul, can you, and, and, and sorry for the, how naive this question might be, but so I'm reading about how there's these cycle, 
I don't know if you call it a cycle, like the plays, uh, you're working with Katha and you're doing your work. And there's uh, another play uh, in Frank. And uh, what is going on? Uh, bring me in. What is going on with the creative process that's there in the rewrites? And are you working together as plays? Are you sharing time? Like, how's that all work? I really know nothing about that piece of it. Sure. Um, all three of these pieces um, came out of our developmental series that we do. Um, it's called the Spark Theater Festival, and we do it twice a season. And it's a chance for artists to bring in their works in progress. They put them in front of an audience for one night, and then they get to sit with the audience and ask them questions about what they just experienced to help evolve you know, their work. And so all three of these pieces had been part in the last couple of years, part of that series. And um, all of the playwrights all went through the process of, you know, having the, a reading of their current draft put up and then being able to talk to the audience. I mean, it, it really is a great opportunity because as a playwright, to be able to ask very specific questions to people who've just seen your work is like one of the most beneficial things because then you can find out like what's landing, what's not landing and something that you thought was really funny, they didn't get at all or something else, they got confused about something. So it gives you that chance to go back and do rewrites and then do another reading and see if you've cleared everything up. And uh, because writing is a constant process. I mean, you, you're you never really, really done. You're to a point where like, it's ready to go before an audience, but then there's still always a little bit of tweaking <laughs> here and there and stuff like that. But um, these three pieces, because uh, I've run the theater company for 30 years. This is our 30th anniversary. And congratulations, so, congratulations. Um, we've always been dedicated to playwrights and, and artists and giving them a, a home where they can develop their work because it does, it, it takes a while to develop something depending on how fast you write and do rewrites. And so these three, for some reason, I just felt that they kind of fit together as um, this is our return to Off-Broadway. We haven't done Off-Broadway in 10 years due to COVID and other situations. And so now I feel like it's the time is ready to come back again. And they're all such different formats and different um, writing styles that I think that they give an audience a wide variety of entertainment to come and see. So that's kind of how I piece the three of them together. I, I love that. And I'm, I'm so excited to hear about that process, Katha. So you're, 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 you're within that. And I, I didn't know about that interactivity, right? Cause a lot of times I, I've done some, you know, playwrights and talking to playwrights, but, um, a lot of the artists I'd be talking to, you know, the single would go out into the world and then like, where's the listener and that type of thing. So Katha, you, you're part of this process. What, what's going on with this process and the feedback that you're getting? What's that like? Well, it's so exciting because, I mean, I have a background in independent film. I've, I've written plays in the past, but that's what it is. This is such an incredible art form because of what you're talking about. Because first of all, you're dealing with a live audience. And as you speak to many other art forms, it's out in the universe and you might see things on the internet, but you don't experience an audience. And it's as well as... Um, you know, I mean, Paul, as the artistic director and producer, has given me notes and thoughts on the process. The director uh, gives, you know, her input, as well as the actors. And since we have like, you know, like a month rehearsal process, that is such an amazing experience to watch these actors 
really become these characters and then, and you know, which you don't really get, like you certainly don't get that in independent film. Independent film, they read the script, they show up on set, they rehearse their lines while they're, you know, setting up the scene and it's not even shot in order. And it's, I mean, there's nothing more thrilling and exciting to be able to, you know, watch your cast become your characters and grow and, and, and embody them. Yeah. I, um, I wanted to, to ask too, as far as that, the, the process just to learn, um, is, is this, how long does this, this part going and, uh, also do most, like a lot of the plays that are, are they formed in this process with the interactivity that you described? If you're asking me, I think that is somewhat typical of of the of the theater experience, you know, in new works especially. I mean, Paul like gives this incredible opportunity for new works. I mean, if somebody goes to license an existing play, they're interpreting it. But when you're a playwright doing a new work and you have an artistic director, you have a producer, you have all these people and it is incredibly collaborative, but the writer has a lot more input than let's say in film where the director is a little bit more the king. So it's really nice. Um, you know, it is a wonderful process for an artist. Yeah. And I would say that um, one of the main things when I started the company was that it is a company for playwrights to make sure that the playwrights always um, were the center of the process. Like we've never charged a playwright to submit or to participate you know, they always get a, a share of the box office because um, it's so funny because the playwright creates the product that employs everyone else. But yet, you know, they want playwrights to pay $25 to have somebody read their play or $50 to read their play. And it's it's like, well, they don't charge actors to audition. They don't charge directors to be interviewed. So, um, so we've always had that policy for 30 years um, because I think it's very important. And you also... Um, like over the course of a year, between our two series, we get over 350 submissions. So through that, I have to go through and read all of those and then contact the artists and, and find out those playwrights who really are interested in working on their plays. Because sometimes you get people who are like, no, I, I wrote it and it's done. Yeah, and, yeah. And, but then you'll see that there's problems with that writing. And if they're not willing to go in and, and really work to, to, to make it a better piece, then um, you want to find those artists that are willing to collaborate and that want to, to go through that process because it's only going to make the, the play stronger. Um, I've never seen it make the play worse. So, Yeah, and, and, and thanks for describing that. One of, the, one of the things I get excited about on the show is I'm excited about this conversation is um, kind of like the kinetic energy uh, that that's involved in, in this, in this process, um, like art, art being made in that, that whole uh, creative and what that in, in environment is. And like, sometimes I find even in doing the show, if I'm going into a particular form of arts, I can, uh, I have a need to get back to maybe this live energy or the play or the music and it, in, it invigorates me. And um um, I, you know, I, I, I feel that energy. I want to say, Paul, I, from hearing you talk and, and, and seeing what you've done, uh, thank you for your work and the, the kind of dedication and the focus, because me as an outsider to the arts world, you see these dollar figures and these 
these entry uh, barriers and things uh, that I don't understand because I'm pretty much an outsider. But um, I just really love hearing about uh, the collaboration and the accessibility. And on your side, it's saying, hey, if you want, it's like a collaboration. If you put something in and you want to make this what it should be, then we can work together. I have yeah. to say that one of the things um, when COVID happened, we had a, a spring series that was that was just two weeks from opening. We had 65 artists over the three weeks um, that were dance, musicals, plays, and then everything shut down. And so for two years, you know, we did some things that we, we recorded and put on YouTube just so we could keep helping artists. But when we came back in the fall of 21 to be in, see, I'm going to get emotional. It's like to be in front of a live audience and to feel that energy exchange again was just like, it was, it, it's something that you don't get anywhere else. You have to have that exchange of energy between the audience and the actors and what's happening on stage because they both feed each other. And for two years of having that shut off, it was, it was devastating for so yeah. many artists. Well, and to piggyback on what Paul said, when we did the auditions in person, I mean, the actors too felt that same, you know, feeling that Paul did where they were like, oh my gosh, thank you for doing an in-person audition. We've done all these Zoom auditions and self-taping. And, and it was just, they had that same emotional experience of being in front of, you know, a, a director and a playwright and a producer and doing it on a stage, their audition. And they were equally as moved. I, uh, uh, it, it, it's wonderful to hear that and very much, uh, connected to, to the exchange. Um, let, let me ask, uh, let me ask you, Paul, just, just one, uh, more, um, related to this, uh, from, from your perspective, um, with the pandemic and with this, you know, radical, uh, change or whatever, you know, the change there, um, has have you seen something uh, different happen uh, with the playwright or the process or what's connected to it, or is it was it just kind of a pause and the energy's back in? Have you seen something just different come out? It was um, it was really hard because a lot of I knew a lot of other theater companies. We we rent our space just for our productions, but there were other people who actually had leases on spaces and they lost their leases, and a lot of them oh, yeah. folded. Yeah. So they went completely under. And um, and so it was a and then a lot of artists had, you know, an adverse reaction to it. They just became so um, isolated that a lot a lot of them, their creativity just kind of stopped. I mean, I know with myself, I just even though I had all this time because I wasn't working, I could not connect to being creative. There was just something stopping that creativity. And it wasn't until like I was able to take off a mask and be back in a live situation that then I felt like it unlocked again. And I was able to start doing, you know, because I started doing rewrites on Doris then after, you know, about a year or so after COVID. So, um, but it was weird because I had all this time, but yet I just, I couldn't connect artistically to anything. Yeah. It, it, it was strange. What about you, Katha? Well, I mean, I found ways to be creative during the pandemic differently. And actually the spark of this play, the thing that kind of triggered me writing the full length piece was a theater company 
that was doing these monologues because they were like, okay, we have to find a way to have some sort of experience and yeah. do things like even in social media, like, you know, somebody like Randy, Randy Rainbow, like how do we use the tools we have? But I was, um, a theater company was like, oh, can you do a monologue for an actor and we will do it, you know, on Zoom with a green screen. And that's kind of that monologue. I was like, oh, I feel like there's a bigger story. So I, I mean, I feel like the, um, you know, our muses come and go and the pandemic became a challenging muse. And, you know, and again, I had worked in film and I do think obviously as a labor person, you know, about the writer's strike and the actor's strike, like, but I feel like there was many things broken in the film business. So I'm like, okay, well, I'm a writer, I can pivot. And when I started to write this as a longer piece, I kept going, don't write it as a film, write it as a play, write it as a play, write it as a play. And, um, but I do think to what Paul said, many theater companies are struggling with getting audiences back in, which I, I mean, I think part of it was because theater was the last thing to reopen after the pandemic. And I just think, you know, it's, it's a habit, like people might've gone and seen a lot of plays and tourism, but you know, it's getting that audience back. But I would like to say as somebody helping Paul with ticket sales. I feel like we are doing quite well. So very happy that um, we are sort of breaking that mold. Yeah. Yeah. That's wonderful to hear um, and, and inspiring. All right, Katha, uh, you know, this is l legit uh, philosophy and art uh, program here. And uh, I got to, I got to ask you one of the big ones, you spend so much time in your life, uh, creating you must think about it all the time what is art oh wow that's a deep question um i so i feel like we all have these creative beasts inside of us so to me i'm kind of feeding and nurturing my beast in writing but i feel like art is can be anything honestly like i think for somebody cooking or cleaning or um you know uh scrap like i think art can be anything that is this process a creative process that we have like it's an active thing but i think it can manifest itself many different ways and it's this way of triggering as I say, you know, this beast inside of us that, you know, waking her up, basically. Yeah. All right. Wow. Beast inside of you. All right. Good. <laughs> no, no, that's good. That's good. Because um, she's in that cage and it's rattling and all of us that suppress. And I do think that's kind of to an Eastern philosophy, like things like Tai Chi and whatever is we can find art and creativity really anywhere it's just on us to find that art yeah yeah i uh, just 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 to just to interject i i brought it up a lot during the show and just kind of like how we think about art and creativity and um the 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 thinker who cracked my my head open was david lynch uh, going very deliberately in because there's this idea that we would all be familiar with of um, like that uh, Dostoevsky, maybe tortured soul creator. And of course, if you're familiar with like David Lynch is like, 
yo, that that's that's not where it is in more of the attention to what arises maybe from a dreamscape or from your mind and trying to catch those things, which is such a different way of viewing it. And I don't have the answer on it, but it was just a radical switch about kind of where uh, the art comes from. What do you, what do you, what are you thinking, Paul? Uh, what is, what is art? And uh, that whole bit there too, about um, how you create it, you know, uh, what's your thoughts? I- it's, I agree with Katha. It's something that's very individual for individual people. And, and it can range anything from dance to solo work, to musicals, to plays, to, you know, gardening to, I mean, you know, cause everybody in their own mind has an idea of what they consider something as artistic. Um, yeah. You know, just all the different genres of plays. I'm like, I'm not really into Shakespeare. I'm not really into Greek theater but I like something that grabs me and takes me someplace I'm not expecting and hopefully makes me either laugh or teaches me something. And um, that's sort of where I come from artistically. Like I want an audience to come in and after seeing something I've written, have, have had an, an experience, a journey, either again, it touches them somehow or it makes them laugh their head off or, you know, or somehow they, they connect to it. Because I think when you, as an artist, connect to other individuals, that makes it real to them. It makes it something yeah. that they'll remember. And as they're walking home, they'll think about something from that. And, and if it makes them think or it brings them entertainment um, and helps to maybe like lessen the load of their life, then I feel like that means I've done my job. Yeah. Yeah. And I just want to piggyback because I do think, I mean, what is art? But I do think the audience is part of it. Um, because, you know, we, there is no art in many ways, if you don't have the audience, if you don't have, it's the tree in the woods, like, does it exist? And, you know, there are many who can just do it for themselves, but I think especially what the art forms that Paul and I are in, it's like the the art and the patron of the arts are as, are, are valuable and important and part of the whole experience. Yeah. Yeah. I, uh, I uh, was thinking of, um, you know, just kind of where art comes from and the energy and there's all sorts of notions and ideas. And sometimes when I ask the, the, you know, like the, the, what is art, um, it kind of like moves a little bit towards like the idea within, um, Michelangelo that the forms were already out there. Like the, the perfect was already there and that the, that the artist was the chipper if they were sculpting, right? The, the perfection was, was, was underneath. And uh, I find that kind of switch around just fa- uh, fascinating, um, you know, uh, to, to think about. Um, one of the, <clears throat> pardon me, one of the cool things I was thinking about being a labor activist myself for so long, the only theater that I can recall doing is street theater, which is very much part of, uh, so I, um, I've had more fun, you know, a couple times doing that. You know, they put a monocle on me and I'd be the banker and, you know, that type <laughs> of thing. And um, I had so much fun with that because it was just loose and free. And it was from the, it was really from the streets. I mean, we we're writing it, it, you know, as, as, as we're going. And um, that's been my connection uh, to, uh, to doing it, but I, 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 I love it. And I, and I, I love of feeling that and, and being somebody different. And, um, 
I like how people can come together for what you're trying to work on or show up or stick a finger up to something and, and show it up and, and create uh, right there. So um, I've enjoyed that. <laughs> Limited performances usually as the bad guy, but. <laughs> but I, I saw a similar thing that was talking about, you know, um, about kind of landlords and how, you know, how people come, you know, cause a lot of people housing became a real problem after the pandemic because people yep. were out of work. And this place at this community center did do it similar to what you did. They're like, okay, we're going to use theater as a way to have a dialogue on a social issue and involve the audience to come out and sort of role play. And it is, you know, and that's similar to like my storytelling is like, okay, I want to unpack something. And in my play, it's about, you know, it is kind of about sex and making it dealing in a non-judgmental destigmatizing way on things that are somewhat taboo. So it's not like, you know, you're giving them things to think about to what Paul is saying, but you're doing it in a way that's entertainment. Yeah. I am, um, you know, in, in, in looking, I was thinking from the outside individually on, on your topics and I'll start with you, uh, Katha, what I, what I first thought when I, I saw the play and, um, uh, a sex positive podcast, but I'm looking at creating that and I'm like, holy shit, like that would freak me out. What do I write about? Like what's interesting to anybody? How do I get into this? Like the vulnerability uh, to it. How, how, what was the, what was that process like for you to be like, to get into the content on the play? Was there something different about it or was it just a, a flow? Well, I, yeah, I do feel like I go very deep um, into research and talking to people because I am kind of an extrovert. So that was kind of the fun where like I, because like I said, it started as this monologue about a porn star, like only fan sex worker going on a date on match.com and he's at the barber and he's super nervous and you don't know who he is at the end. And it's this guy so nervous about going on a date and in the space to me, I was like, okay, porn makes sex um, like this unattainable look at sex. And then I also thought social media makes romance very unattainable. So it was this kind of both sides that he wanted this very unrealistic romance while he worked in this very, un and that they're very different, that making love is very different than having sex. And that's what it kind of started. This guy with a heart of gold, you know, looking for the perfect girl. And then I was like, well, what would be the foil to this character? And I'm like, oh, I know all these women, you know, in midlife that are, you know, a lot of times they're divorced that are completely down on love because they cannot find somebody. So I'm like, okay, this guy's looking for love and who's, you know, dejected by love. But I feel like once you pick your theme, all of a sudden things you know, which is in that synchronicity space. It feels like everywhere, like something is going to trigger the story and be part of the plot because, and, and you have to listen. And, you know, that was kind of, you know, the fun of it. And then I would be like, when people are like, okay, so what are you working on now? And I'm like, oh, set a play about sex. And then they, that always got their attention. And, yeah. you know, so it was fun, like the research. Um, but to, um, 
what was the other thing you had said at the beginning? Oh, well, shoot, just, I just lost the train of thought. Well, well <laughs> about no. vulnerability. You asked about yeah. vulnerability. Yeah. Um, I just feel when you get, like, I mean, we are, you know, we are the naked emperor saying we have clothes on all the time artists. <laughs> and you don't want to be called out for being naked. And, but I feel like, you can only write well if you go to the vulnerable place. And that's to like kind of Brené Brown and vulnerability. Like you have to, you just have to accept that. And otherwise you're not going to write well, because if you're writing out of fear, it, you're never going to be a good writer. And then I think, as I've told many writers, you know, they're going to, rejection hurts. People are going to say things that, you know, may make you cry. And then you just have to wipe the tears and do it again, you know, get up the next day and go back out there. And it sounds from you, Kate, that you have the energy to keep going back in and working <laughs> with Paul. And Paul expects that as like, everything. It sounds, it sounds, it sounds. She does. Most, she does. Yeah. Hey, uh, Paul, proud. that's, that's super. Um, Paul, um, uh, about uh, Doris Day, and and for you in describing the play, I was immediately intrigued uh, visually thinking about it of the the photos uh, that you know that that is as a as a piece to move things along. I want to ask you uh, regarding just the story itself in general. Um, was there anything you know? Because Doris Day, America's sweetheart, singer on the on on film. Of course, anybody who is that on screen, we're going to surmise that life is very different from that. Was there were, were there a couple things that kind of like just stood out or surprised you, or maybe even the visual on the photos that spurred the story, where you're like, "Whoa, what is this with Doris Day?" Well, what's interesting is that the the photos were chosen after I wrote it. Oh, so because um, along with the songs, initially we had I had seventeen songs. And then I went through and I'm like, some of these songs are really great songs, but they're not doing anything for the plot. So I wanted the song and the lyrics in the song to be part of that moment in the script in her life. So I carefully chose the songs to reflect those parts of the script so that it had, um, you know, a, a, a through line, basically. So the songs that she's singing, you know, also were triggering these other memories that are happening to her. And, um, you know, the like you had mentioned before we started the podcast, the whole Charles Manson thing was so surprising because most people don't know that um, Charles Manson, her son was a record producer, Terry. He worked with the Mamas and the Papas, the Birds, the Beach Boys. And so Charles Manson sent him a tape and wanted him to produce a song. So he went out to the commune and met him. And but once he went home and he listened to the music, it just wasn't good. And so Charles Manson then started threatening him and he was supposed to be at that house that night, but Doris told him that she wasn't going to be at her beach house and he was dating uh, Candace Bergen at the time. So they went to Doris's house that night and then Manson got there and because they weren't there, that was one of the reasons also that he killed all the others as a, as you know, a message to Terry. And so Terry then kind of spun into this whole drug thing of paranoia, afraid that Charles Manson was still going to come and, and get him, slept with a rifle at night. I mean, all of this stuff. Um, and that really, like, 
I had no idea. But in the film Once Upon a Time that Tarantino did, he actually put just a sliver of that in, in the movie about uh, about Doris Day's son, Terry. And I was like, that's so cool, because if you don't know that, you know, he connected it that way. But um, that was one of the really, like, fascinating things, because I had no idea that that happened. Um, yeah. And then um, she had really bad problems with husbands. She chose men who were abusive to her, but some of it was also self-inflicted because she never read contracts. She just signed things. And so people kind of, these men took control of her life for a good chunk of her life. Um, and so that was really surprising because in most of her films, she's a strong woman, Yeah, you know? Yeah. And, um, and I think that uh, it was a little shocking to find that out. Yeah, I get a, well, I'm going to have to, go back to the Tarantino film again to catch that, <laughs> catch, ca to catch that point in there because I missed it during the, um, uh, the, the first time. Yeah. Uh, that kind of shocking history. I, um, I listen to some podcasts and stuff and I'm actually, uh, fascinated. I, the cases, uh, Manson cases just dark and mysterious and so atypical and just a horror that, you know, it, 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 it's 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 fascinating but like how does something so scary or like you describing the fear that was absolutely instilled like each account that i read was like yep. they're coming after us like they are gonna take us out and like even after the murders some of the like actors famous actors they were all had guns when they were going to the wakes and wild uh wildness um uh, okay. Well, um, thank, thanks. Thanks for that. And I, yeah, I heard about a lot about the Doris Day and the, the business and the, the, the deference and the control. And it, it uh, it's really, uh, a really difficult story, you know, um, uh, and, and some of the things it, that you went through. It was a, di it was a different time back then, you know, yeah. women were controlled a lot by the studio heads and, you know, she was just happy to be working. So she just kept signing things that, more and more of her rights went away and her first contract, her agent took 50% and the studio took another 15%. So left her with like 35%. So. Yeah. Yeah. And I think one, sometimes we, you know, we hear these stories a lot, like over time within, within entertainment, I think everybody kind of sits back a lot of times with a privileged position. Well, why are you signing? Why are you sign it? Well, it's very much human behavior. A lot of times yeah. of those you're around, those you love or trust or smart people or, the one with the suit and people get caught up in these dynamics and sign stuff. It's not, yeah, you know, it's, it's not, it's not just being bullheaded or ignorant or anything. It's no. just, you know, you get caught up in something that's bigger than yourself. All right. Uh, Kate, I know, you, you know, with the philosophy bit there and you're talking uh, existentialism and on, on the show here, um, I do ask the question, why is there something rather than nothing? But I also, I ask it in a way, where to kick around the maybe the absurdity or the profundity of the question, but also part of the thing I talk about is like creating and, and create, you know, starting with whatever's there and creating something out of it, which is maybe the subtext for this wild podcast I've been doing for four years. But, um, uh, Kate, uh, why is there something rather than nothing? Well, um, wait, so just, why is what? Like, just can you ask the question again? Well, what I would say would be like if you want to approach it through the to through the creative yeah. sense yeah. of um, 
creating something out of nothing or like yeah. where does where's the generative piece to things oh i mean i that is to me what is amazing is is the kind of is being an alchemist i mean because we have these things in our head like paul's like oh i want to do you know a, a play that you know looks into doris day's life i'm going to do and then all of a sudden it exists and that and i never take that for granted and then you know, even when we're rehearsing the play, I'm like, wait, did I actually write that? Like, there's times when I'm hearing that. I'm like, wait, how did I even, how did I do this? And especially because it's like they all come together in the end. And I'm like, wait, when did I figure that out? Like, I find that it's, it becomes like a very, um, you know, what was the movie? Like Fantasia. Like, it becomes this weird kind of experience Mm -hmm. of becoming this magician and getting lost in it. And it and that's why I feel like to what we were talking about with Michelangelo, like stories possess me. And I can't really write until I have a story that possesses me. And then I just have to figure out how to get it out. And I do look at it as a puzzle that I have to solve. And I just feel like, you know, okay, I know there, there is the play. When am I going to come up with <laughs> with this like when is you know am i going to be get that spark you know from the gods to have it come out of me and and i do think i never take for granted that it started as nothing and then it becomes something and and how kind of mind-blowing that is yeah how about you paul i think that um writing wise it's that it's that blank piece of paper and you look at it and all of a sudden something shoots into your head. And I was, I was taught in high school by a creative writing teacher, never edit yourself. Just let it all come out. Let it all come out, write out everything. Just write it, write it, write it, write it. Never stop yourself and edit while you're letting it flow because then you'll interrupt the flow. <clears throat> and so letting that flow happen and then going back and saying, okay, now I can go back and I can look at that. <clears throat> because in, in the Dora's piece, um, when it started out as a solo show, I did three or four different, completely different incarnations of it. One, it was set in a hospital room. One, it was set at a, you know, in a high school, you know, all these different things. And it was like, okay, it's not working. That's not working. And then all of a sudden something was like, oh, and it clicked. And all of a sudden out of this, you know, nothing, I got this idea that then kind of made everything gel together. Um, and, uh, and even then, it's still like transformed from that point on. Um, and one of the things that I have to credit that to is I, I had a really great director, uh, Melissa, who's been working with me on this piece since the very beginning, from when it was a solo show to now. And um, she really, you know, helps guide me. And I'm uh, I'm lucky as a writer; I can do rewrites. Like when she wants changes, I do them that night and give them to her the next day. You know, because it's just it. And I know some people are like, oh, I could never give up or let any of my words not be heard. And it's like, but you, if they're not helping your play, you have to let go of them. Even though you might think this is the funniest line or this yeah. is the most tender moment. Yeah. It's like, you know, as they say, you have to kill your children. Don't, um, get, you don't fall in love. Don't fall in, <laughs> don't fall in because, love with that line. No. And, and, and because then when it all comes together, you're like, oh, my God, I don't miss it at all. You know, and you can always put that somewhere else and bring it back or put it in something else if yeah. you really, really loved it. But if you want to love the entire piece, you have to let those things go. 
I, I, I really get that. I, I, in, in my union work, I, I tell it to a lot of my, my leaders and stuff like that. Cause I still do it to this day. Don't fall in love with your proposal because it's going to break your heart. It's going to change. It's going to go away. And uh, just creatively, I love that line or you love how you did it, but no, <laughs> it might or might not. Uh, yeah, and you got, you've got to have that flexibility because there's, there's a yeah. lot of writers I've met who will not. I have worked with writers who have brought in a piece and they will not change a word. They will not look at something again in another way. And, and it's, and it's frustrating because it's like, it could, it could really be something if you're willing to make changes, but some people are very set that I wrote it and that, that is what I wrote and that is what it's going to be. And that's fine. And that is their right, but it, they're missing, you know, what also has to translate to an audience because sometimes playwrights are so much in their head that they understand it, especially if they direct their own work, which I never suggest you need <laughs> another set of eyes. Tell us about that. Tell us you about under, that. You understand everything because you wrote it. And so when you direct it, you're directing it from your own head, which means that you understand every word. But yeah. the people who are coming in aren't in your head. They have to understand it from not knowing anything. And by keeping it so centralized with you doing everything and not having another set of eyes, I think it really is detrimental. Because something that you're going to get because you know it so well, they'll come in and they'll be confused because they're again they're not in your head. That made that, that makes sense. sense. That makes a lot of sense to me. Like what you were saying before, because when you first brought up the idea, I was thinking with the with the workshopping, and then I'm like, I'm thinking of it as just like if I've written something, and then I'm be like, yeah, trapped in my own head. Don't you know why this is funny? Because didn't you miss the sixth line? Because that was set up this line, and people are like, no, I don't, I don't give a shit. Like I don't, exactly. I don't know what you're up to. Who are you? And um, so I really understand and understand that point, and like that 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 reciprocity of the relationship of being having people be honest with it and saying, uh, wow, that was excellent that you were thought you were weak on, or that really hit. But I had no clue for that five minutes why those characters were trying to figure this out because you know so i mean i just want to add on that because yeah. i believe that's true but also and i know paul's not saying this you can't write by committee either and there is the thing that uh, and again I'm, I'm just clarifying on that it was to kind of what you were saying about contracts you have to have people that you trust and have expertise to give you notes because everybody and especially lots of times in writing groups people give you notes on how they would do it, which isn't necessarily the right way. They're like, well, you know, and so I do think yeah. it's important because writers, you know, we're here and we're in our heads. You have to have ears. And that's the point. If somebody can say something's not working and maybe you're like, you have to sort of trust your gut go, okay. But if you hear it a couple more times, then it's a problem and you have to be. And that goes back to also, we we're talking about the vulnerability when a writer comes in and it's like, this is it, take it or leave it. Like it's because they're, they're closed up and they're, it's about having that vulnerability. And again, sometimes you can try be like, okay, we'll try it your way. And if it doesn't work, you still have your other way. It doesn't mean it doesn't exist. So I just think, and that comes with a little bit of maturity and experience to be able to, and, and to be, like I said, a good listener. It, yeah. It's it's also interesting because uh, I have a friend who's a she's a really great writer, and she's written so many plays, but she's so afraid to have them seen by the public 
because she's like, well, what if they don't like it? And I'm like, but you, at some point you have to put yourself out there. If you never put your work out there, then no one's going to know like that you, that you're really a great writer. There's always going to be people that are not going to understand something or not like the subject matter. You know, that's just part of the world because we all have different experiences, but to, to keep yourself out of fear from putting it before an audience, you, you have to be stronger than that because ultimately the reward will be that, you know, out of those hundred people, 35 may really connect with the work that you've done. And that is worth that. So that's, that's, and it's too what so many um, people in the arts say, um, like viewers can help, but reviewers sometimes can be your biggest enemy and you can't, and that's why so many people, oh, I didn't even read the reviews because you really, it's about the audience. And sometimes these reviewers, first of all, they're not seeing it many times with an audience. And so you have to balance all of that. And that's why I said, there are going to be times where you have this great audience and the next day you read the review and you're like, they couldn't stand it. You're like, but... And you're worrying that, oh, my God, you know, my mom's going to read this horrible review. And my, and that's where you you just, that's part of being the artist. And that's why I do a lot of it. It's, it can be a very masochistic experience <laughs> to be an artist because it is about putting yourself out there. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and, 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 and thank you for the discussion. I mean, it's it, and, and the nuanced aspects of it and like what you were saying, Kate, and uh, Paul and. Paul and I are chatting about the point of what you get back from the audience. It's also, it's also the bit because you're still there. You're trying to figure out at the same time when it's coming back in and trying to be open to what is useful suggestions or how other people see it. And um, I do a ton of collaborative work and I just love kind of connecting with, um, I get a feel and, and, and understand a lot better um, uh, what you're doing. Okay. Let's, uh, before we uh, before we finish up here, let's uh, drop the details about uh, Doris Day, my secret love, sex work, sex play, um, going on live. Uh, New York City, give us give the listeners all the details they need to know about how to encounter uh, these works. You want to start with uh, you, Paul, and move to Katha? Sure. So um, they can go to emergingartisttheater.org. Um, the show schedules for Anne Being Frank, Doris Day, My Secret Love, and Sex Work, Sex Play are there. Um, the plays run for eight weeks from September 4th through October 29th. They run in rep, so each play has four performances a week, so they run seven days a week. Um, there are matinees and evening performances. All the shows run basically 80 to 85 minutes total, you know, in each play, so no intermission. Um uh, Katha, would you like to add? Oh, all I just want to add is the plug that any of your listeners who would, who are very curious about these works, we are welcome to have them go to other cities and other theaters. So this is just yes. the start <laughs> of our journey for all the people who are like, oh, darn, I live in Oregon. I can't get to New York City. Well... <laughs> Let's let's make let's make the art contagious. We very much share uh, the, the same type of thinking. It doesn't have to be just New York City. Love New exactly. York City, yeah. but uh, no, I these plays are very pack and play. They're very easy because you know they don't have an intermission. They have very simple sets, and so they're very easy to produce regionally in other markets. Yeah, yeah. 
And and I, I want to say just for the just on 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 plays themselves, um, because my show kind of goes into a lot of different areas. Um, I, I mean, I'm really thrilled to be able to move into those. But sometimes there's this, you know, you're saying about the you know serendipity or synchronicity of things coming together is just. Sometimes I end up with a contact with like a form and just like um, one of my more recent episodes, um, uh, Charles Payne, who was a playwright, just getting a play uh, out there and talking about how they ended up putting on in North Carolina where uh, he had never been. And he's an yeah. artist in residence in Madison, uh, Wisconsin, and just like um, just kind of come in contact with 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 plays and what's going on with that. I really want to thank you. Uh, cause I know how, I mean, you just said the what the schedule is and what's going on and how busy you are to kind of jump on, to jump on the show and, 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 and chat about things. Um, I really appreciate the both of you and, uh, really inspired by our, our chat. Well, thank you very much. We really appreciated you inviting us to be here. Yeah, it was really, it was a great dialogue. That's what's, you know, thank you for including us on your podcast. Yeah. Uh, there was great energy here going around the three of us, so. Yeah, and I'm such, <laughs> I, I, I like the, you know, part of the thing is with me asking the questions too, which which helps me is whenever I'm asking the damn questions, I'm super interested in finding out what your answer is. And, you know, so, um, I, I, I really, uh, I really appreciate, uh, your time. And I, I certainly look forward into, uh, coming in contact, uh, with your work and learning more about, you know, um, uh, the, the emerging artists theater and, you know, you know, uh, learning more about the, the, the plays that are upcoming and, um, uh, a uh, thanks again. And I heard that the running through October 29th, was that correct on the date? Correct. Yeah. Okay. September 4th through October 29th. And well, as and busy. To, yeah, go uh, ahead. I was going to say, Paul, right after our plays end, he's going into the new work series. <laughs> yeah. Our Spark Theater Festival starts October 30th and runs till November 19th. So I'm basically at the theater for 30, for three months. So <laughs> I was getting to this point where I was like, well, that's a long run. And so I see somebody working hard. I was going to tell you both to have, have a, a fantastic Halloween run around the city, do whatever, but Paul, you're going to still be busy. So fit that in if you can. I'll, I'll have a great Thanksgiving. <laughs> yeah, have, a, have a great Thanksgiving. Um, thank you both uh, so much uh, talking about plays and um, whether, you know, for the audience that's over there in New York city, um, uh, check it out live. And for um, it's a worldwide audience on something rather than nothing. Um, learn, learn about these plays, learn about the project and say, Hey, I want to see this in uh uh, Minneapolis. Uh, I want to see this in Austin or or, or Dublin. Yeah, yeah. And I'm just going to plug my <laughs> website, which is katha.com, where in Thank addition you. to this, there's uh, you know my other body of works in case somebody wants to chat with me directly. <laughs> katha.com. Thank you. And uh, unique name, right? Yep. <laughs> uh, Paul, uh, just one final thing. Uh, maybe the website uh, for the sure. for the theater group emergingartisttheater.org very good very good thank you both and uh oh, heck sounds like we had enough to talk about we'll probably have to do a second <laughs> installment right right great well thank you very much for having us thank you take care now all right hey. you too thanks bye -bye. okay bye bye bye, -bye.
This is something rather than nothing. And listeners, to stay connected with us and our guests, visit somethingratherthannothing.com. Join our mailing list for exclusive updates and access to guest-created art. If you enjoyed this episode or any episode, please like, subscribe, leave a review on your podcast platform. People really read that shit. Your support helps us reach more listeners and spread our community across the planet. This is a global show, and we like to give a shout-out to our many listeners across the world, including many listeners in Canada, Spain, Germany, UK, Argentina, Brazil, India, Thailand, and so many more places. Be sure to follow us on Instagram at something rather than nothing podcast for behind the scenes content. And the best way to help the show is to tell your friends about us. If you love it, they'll love it too. Tell your friends who love it. We love you. This is something rather than nothing podcast. <laughs>